Good evening. Good to see everybody. Thank you guys for coming back out and to worship the Lord tonight, hopefully, in the spirit and in the truth. Uh, sometimes, if you don't know what to do, what do you do? Uh, when I was at White Chapel, and how about this White Chapel reunion we had up here? Jeff leading singing, Gordon reading, not bad, and stuck with me preaching. What do you do when you don't know what to do? That's not our lesson. I just ask it. When you don't preach all the time, you don't necessarily have a series going, uh, or anything fancy like that. So uh, this morning's lesson was from when Justin and, I, Justin and I went to free last weekend to rush. The theme was stand up. Get it? I didn't really have anything for this evening, so I went to an expert. I asked Emma. <laughs> what should I preach on today? Or this evening? She said, <laughs> she's hiding her face. She said, Noah, preach on Noah. So, let's talk about Noah. The passages that Gordon read, at least up verse, verse 5 to verse 7 of chapter 6, sort of, it's really depressing. Also, a gloomy situation. When God himself says, I've had enough, and I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Not just wipe the slate, I'm wiping the slate clean. I'm getting rid of everybody. But verse 8, to me, it's a, it, yes, it's a highlight verse, but verse 8 of Genesis 6 is a verse that uh, we all need to thank God for. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some translations have that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it simply means. And we know the result of that favor. Noah his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws, eight people, stayed alive. And from those eight, mankind continued. If it wasn't for Noah, finding favor, finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, who knows what would have happened. But he did, and we're here, and we're worshiping God, our Father, through Jesus. But why Noah? Why him? That's sort of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, finding favor. But why did Noah find grace? Hopefully you've got your Bibles still open. Oh, by the way, you're going to need your Bibles. I'm not going to have a lot of verses up here. I'm going to make you work for it. You might, if you get a paper cut. Rita, we got, we got Band-Aids. In the, in the, okay? So if you cut your finger, we got Band-Aids. Uh, we got a doctor. If it's really bad, he can stitch it up. If, you, if it really hurts bad, we got a pharmacist. Open your Bibles. No excuses. And let's look at God's Word. In chapter 6 and verse 9. Now we think about why Noah. Why did Noah find grace in the sight of the Lord? Well, verse 9 really tells us. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man was perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. Those three things. We're going to add a fourth one in just a second. Let's just stay here in verse 9. Noah was a just man. The word for just here, some translations have it righteous. Noah was a righteous man, meaning he had a moral disposition about him. He had a moral relation to God. 
He was a righteous man. Not within himself. He could save himself. We can't do that. We're not righteous enough. Romans chapter 5 talks about. But Noah was righteous. He was trying to do the right thing. The just thing. He had that moral relation to God. But verse 9 also tells, tells us that Noah was perfect in his generation. And again, some translations have for perfect, and maybe a better translation is Noah was blameless in his generation. In his day, in his time, in his community, those of his, of his sphere of influence, he was blameless. You couldn't bring fault. He was not sinless. That's not what it means. But that he was no blatant faults, if you will. He was perfect in his generation, blameless. Verse 9 also tells us that Noah walked with God. Walked with God. His, his manner of life, his culture he created was to walk with God. And it's sort of a manifestation, if you think about it, of Noah being just or righteous or perfect or blameless. It's a manifestation of that, of, of Noah walking with God. Uh, maybe he'd been trained by his great-grandfather, who was Enoch. And Enoch also walked with God. So Noah did this. So why did Noah find grace? He was a just man. He was perfect in his generation. He walked with God. But look at verse 22 also of chapter 6. Noah, thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. He did everything God commanded him. Matter of fact, in chapter 7, it's repeated. Noah did everything God commanded him. We're going to talk in just a few minutes about faith. And Noah is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. I know we looked at that briefly this morning. But Noah is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and about faith. And we're going to talk about and look at that verse in a few minutes again and just see what's that, what does that mean that he did according to all that God commanded. That's what Noah did. And he found grace. He found favor, thankfully for mankind, in the eyes of the Lord. So that brings us into a sort of a transition here. Why do we need to find grace? Now, we're going to talk about in just a second uh, how do we find grace. How do we find this favor from God in the eyes of the Lord as Noah did? Let's ask the question first, why? Why do we need to have this grace? Well, here's what not, here's the reason we don't need it, if I may do that. It's not because another flood's coming. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Just a couple of pages over. Now let's read about why God's not going to destroy the earth again with a flood. First of all, God promised, I'm not going to do it. And when he makes a promise, it's real. In verse, beginning with verse 8 of chapter 9, it reads, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. 
Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So that's not why we need to try to find grace. He's not going to destroy the earth with a flood. And we don't have to worry about that, thankfully. Matter of fact, he gave us a sign. We give him verse 12 in the same chapter. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be. When I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. I love rainbows. I love looking at them. Not in a sissy way, if I may say sissy. I'm just saying I love rainbows. I think they're beautiful. I think they're pretty. But I always think about this. I always think. Even when we sing Blue Skies and Rainbows. I know the Boyd kids, they don't like that song a lot because they sing it every day. But if you think about the lyrics, it's beautiful. Blue skies and rainbows. We see that rainbow, it's a promise. That's the promise. That's the sign that God says, I will never, ever flood the earth will destroy the earth with water again. So why do we need to find grace? Yeah, he's not going to destroy the earth with a flood again. But there is a day coming. There's a final judgment day coming. And we need to talk about that. And we also, it's very interesting how Noah, through some of the New Testament writers, plays prominently, they use him as illustrations that talk about the final day. For example, everybody turn to 2 Peter, if you would, with me. 2 Peter. We're in chapter 3. I know it's a long reading. I appreciate if you'd read it with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 3. Peter writes before this, I'm writing to you a second time to stir up your minds, to put you in remembrance. Then he starts talking about something in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, Peter says, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Some people might be saying, where is it it at? You keep talking about Jesus is coming back. Where is it at? And Peter's having to deal with that. And he's reminding them, wait a minute. Jesus said it, but let's not try to put God on our time scale. God will bring it about 
when it's time. Then verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. A day's coming. No, it's not going to be a flood. It's going to be fire. And everything's going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be burned up and gone. And you notice how he alluded to the flood? But Jesus also talked about this in the last days. In the judgment days, at least I think he did, and mentioned Noah. If you would go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. In chapter 24, at the beginning of it, Jesus looking at the temple and talking about it, uh, people gawking over it, people showing him the temple, and Jesus says in verse 2, do you see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. In verse 3, people start asking him, when's this going to happen? When's this going to take place? Then they ask him, and also tell us what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Now I think the first part of chapter 24, he starts talking about, here's what's going to happen before Jerusalem is destroyed. As we get to verse 36, notice what he says though. But of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating, and drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming. Of the Son of Man. We don't know. And we might think we might get comfortable in our lives, comfortable in our spiritual lives, but what Peter tells us is it's going to happen. Not by a flood, it's going to be burned up. Then Jesus is saying, Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be prepared to meet the Lord on the judgment day? Or are you going to be like the people in Noah's day, just going about your day, going about your time as he's building the ark? And only eight people are saved. It's a coming. That's why we need to find grace. But how do we do it? How do we find grace as Noah did? Well, it seems like if Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord, maybe we should follow that recipe to be just. To be a person in our time who was blameless, perfect, to walk with God to look at God's commandments and do God's commandments. So let's look at that. We must be just in God's eyes, righteous in His eyes. If you want to go to Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5. God sent Jesus to make us just in His sight. We can't do it on our own. There's nothing within our power except obeying the gospel. Yeah, we, there's things we have to do, 
But just within our own power, there's nothing to make myself just. It comes through Jesus. In chapter 5, in verse 8 and 9, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We're justified through the blood of Jesus. It's through that that we're justified and that we're saved. But also backing up just a little bit in Romans chapter 3. It's for everybody who will call on the Lord and obey Him. In chapter 3, beginning with verse 24, Paul writes, I know it's in the beginning of a sentence, but he says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. It's as if Jesus paid a fine and forgot about it. By His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's through Jesus that we're justified. It's through Jesus that we have righteousness. Jesus gives us that. But also, if we're going to find grace, as Noah did, we have to be perfect in our generation. Blameless. We need to live our lives to where just blatant, we're just blatantly sinning. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, I preached on this just not long ago, we all sin. But through the justification that Jesus gives, through the righteousness He gives, because His blood still flows, we can have forgiveness of sins. But we must be, the best of our ability, be blameless in our generation. What does that mean? The blood of Jesus cleanses us of our sins. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to put this one on the board. In 1 John we read, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. That, that through we can be blameless in this generation because Jesus cleanses us of our sins. But not only that, the Word of God guides us to be perfect, to know what to do. I referenced this passage this morning, but let me throw it on the board. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's providing. He's provided it through His Word. Had to be perfect or blameless in this generation, as Noah was and found favor in the sight of the Lord. But also, we must walk with God. We must walk with God, as Noah did. If you would go to Ephesians chapter 5 again, you're probably still open there, close to it. And let's see several passages in this chapter and how we walk with God, how our manner of life should be. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and put them all up here. In chapter 5 and verse 1, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace through God our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, we have peace. We can be at peace. And we follow him as a dear child. In verse 2, we read, Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We walk in love. In verse 8 and verse 11, we read, uh, Again, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, um, in that while we were still sinners, I'm in Romans. No wonder I'm messing up. I thought, man, what am I doing here? I apologize. I told you I just wrote this this afternoon. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. It reads, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. To, to imitate. Children do that a lot. They imitate older people. Peter, uh, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, Imitate God. Like a dear child, like a child follows their parents or follows somebody older. Be like that. Imitate that, spiritually speaking. In verse 2, walk in love. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. To walk in love. In verse 8 and verse 11, to walk uh, as children of light. To walk in the light. Verse 8 tells us, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as someone who has uh, been born of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. As we walk as children of light, one of our jobs to do is to expose sin and to expose darkness in the world. That we walk as the wise. That should be part of our culture. Remember verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days of e are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding the will of the Lord. As we walk on this earth, we try to walk as Noah might have walked, finding grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord, we need to walk the same way. We also need to do all that the Lord has commanded, just as Noah did. That is, in Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things Jesus has recorded, at least in that gospel, is teaching them, baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. Not some things, all things. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, do all that the Lord has commanded. We do that because that shows that we love God. That shows that we love Jesus that we love the Lord because we're doing what he told us to do. And that's what Noah did. But I'll add a few more things, if I may. Just a few more minutes if you'll stay with me. How do we find grace? We've got the recipe. Noah spelled it out for us in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 22. I want to ask some other things that we find in the Scripture about Noah that leads us, hopefully, on that road, that pathway to heaven. Before anything happens, before we start walking on that road, before we start going to meet, before we prepare ourselves, if you will, for the judgment day, you have to have faith. And what about faith? I think to find grace, you have to have faith. And we know faith um, 
It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know how we get faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. But Noah demonstrated faith. Look at this passage. It's on the board. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, never seen a flood, being divinely warned of things not seen, notice, moved with godly fear. His faith had him to have, or, or told him, taught him to have a reverence and an awe for God. And it moved him. He prepared an ark to save his household. He prepared an ark. He did something. This is controversial sometimes. Faith and works, no, 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 no. You don't have to do anything. Just believe and you're saved. Well, we do know from Ephesians chapter 2 that you're saved by grace. There's no work of merit that I could ever do to be saved. But there's also works of obedience. Listen to me. James chapter 2 clearly spells out that for me to be saved, for me to demonstrate my faith, I have to do something. When we read about Noah, by faith Noah, if he had not prepared an ark, did he have to prepare that ark to show his faith? Yes, he did. Faith, James chapter 2 says, faith without works is like a body without a spirit in it. It's dead. It's dead. It's no good. So he moved. He prepared an ark for the saving of his house by which he condemned the world. I didn't use this passage, but something else about Noah. He was a preacher, according to the Apostle Peter. He was a preacher of righteousness. He told people... He preached to them. He tried to save them of his day. And he became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So faith is involved in this. But what about repentance? Is repentance a part of this? We've already referenced some of that in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Was God long-suffering in the day of Noah? He sure was. For a long time he waited while Noah was building that ark, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So repentance is very important. And it plays right back into Noah, how he's attached to that. But what about baptism? What about baptism? I want everybody, if you would, the last time you have to turn to Scripture, at least tonight, First Peter chapter 3. Hey, God's Word is not burdensome. We know that. 1 Peter chapter 3. Is baptism important? Is baptism important for me to find the grace, that free gift that God is extending? Look at chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also we went and preached the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, the divine long-suffering in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now listen to verse 21. 
There is also an antitype which now saves us. What is it, church? What's your Bible say? Baptism. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have to be just. We have to be blameless. And we have to be uh, blameless and we have to be just and righteous as best we can. We have to be perfect and blameless as best we can. We have to walk with God. We have to do everything God commands. And part of the things God commands is to have faith and to be penitent in heart and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if you're ready, you don't wait. If your heart is ready, you don't wait. Because a judgment day is coming, and we don't know when that day is coming. What did Jesus say? What did Peter say? It's going to come as a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to happen. So are you ready? Are you ready tonight? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 states, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, we just read chapter two, verse 2 to verse 13, He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, if you need the gospel call tonight, if you're ready to obey that gospel call, you need us to pray for you, or if you're ready to become a Christian, whatever it may be, and you want to take care of it tonight, we're going to sing an invitation song. If you want to come on down, we'll talk about it. If not, you want to talk about it afterwards, then talk to somebody. If you're ready right now, let's take care of it as we stand and sing.